Great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone on Voice America Women's Network with my co-host, Lauren Deller. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm excellent. How are you? I'm great. I came back from the city. I was in New York City yesterday, Lauren. It was a gorgeous day. It was a beautiful day, but the real uh, it was a beautiful day for me because I came back looking beautiful. <laughs> I always beautiful. I'm not always beautiful. I waited ten weeks before I got my hair cut and colored, and let me tell you, I and because I just didn't have time to do it. I you know I was at the Cape this summer, came back, went out to Chicago to visit my son last weekend, so I didn't have time to go to the city to get my hair cut and colored. Fabulous! I look so good. <laughs> I, that's why we should all wait 10 weeks, because it's such a dramatic change. That's true. And what a, I mean, it's amazing. I have this, and I, Samantha is her name, and I'm going to give a plug for this place, but it's Oscar Blandy on Madison mm-hmm. Avenue. Okay, it's, got it. It's very expensive, but it's worth it, because now getting your hair cut and colored is expensive everywhere. It's it doesn't matter. Isn't that true? Even it is in, true. So it's she, actually, I've had it done a couple times in Austin. I'm in New York now also. But um, a couple times in Austin that I just worked, Terrible, you know, re- no names, obviously. But then I just had it done, and I just went, you know, another time, and it was this person much more expensive. It, w- it was so much better. It makes a huge difference. I mean, she t- it does. I mean, you really get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And this woman does a lot of the movie stars and stuff. It's a fairly large place. And, you know, they take care of you, and they want to feed you and give you food and drink. And, you know, I had already been drinking and eating, so I didn't need anything. But she just – and the colorist just did a fabulous job. I just have to be able to – when I get home, to be able to do it myself. You know, that's always – sometimes part of the problem to be able to comb it out the same way they do. Uh-huh. Anyway, do I do look, yeah, I look do really good. Um, so, oh, that, way, that means you feel good, too. It means, I, yeah, it, it, it just, it, the external, which is what, it, it really does affect how you feel on the yes, inside. It and it's not being frivolous. It has nothing no, to do yeah. with being frivolous. It has to do with just it does, your clothes, your makeup, your hair. It does make a difference. It does. And that's okay. <laughs> so what's happening in our political arena? We're going to have somebody on, uh, not our first guest, Lauren, but our second guest is going to be Linda Clark. She's an attorney here in Albany. Uh-huh. And she spearheaded uh, a, a, a something that's going on in the in the capital district capital of New York state today called Women Must Lead. So that's an appropriate um Topic, I think, today for for what's happening in the national politics. Women must lead. Uh, so we'll talk to her later on. She's going to talk about how we need more women in business and government, and uh, you know, and all the, the but different. But not just more for the sake of more, right? And not just women for the sake of women. Exactly. <laughs> and we, that's what we have to talk about. You know, I don't even want to mention the vice presidential candidate. I feel like it's made such a hoopla about it that the more you talk exactly. about it, exactly. I agree with you. It's working. It is working, and yeah. it's, just, it's all a big show. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this the past. I had breakfast the other day with a friend of mine, and we. I, one of the things that I think is so important about Barack Obama, can I say this? Yes, you can. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. You know, I have a, this is book. Internet Radio. You can say, that's the beauty of it. You can it's say great. whatever you want. It is great. But here's the deal, is that as, women, as a woman business owner and as women that I've worked with for, I don't know, I've, 
2008, so seven years of doing business coaching, what I, when I know that women are successful in business, there's one trait that they all have in common, and that is they have a vision. And I think that we need, it's time for a president that has a vision. If we don't have a president that has a vision, not one that has issues about the past and how it needs to be and what it looked like yesterday, and you know, it, we need someone with a vision way out there, a five-year vision, a 10-year vision, a 20-year vision, a 50-year vision. That's the role of the leader. And if we don't have a president with a vision, we're just going to get stuck in the mud over and over and over again. No matter what the rhetoric is, exactly. no matter what John McCain is saying, you know, he wants to change and transform. So he's been in, he's been there for how many years? 30, 40 years? Exactly. <laughs> you were right. He is 72. So he's 72 years old. He, I, he, I don't believe he's got a 50-year vision. He can't have a 50-year vision. He's too old to have if a If he does, please vision. tell me about it. I'd like to hear it. Well, he's not, he is not thinking that. He's not, that's not the way someone at 72 is going to be thinking, most likely. Yeah, that's a good point because he's – yeah, and then they say that, uh, okay, what she's – what's her name? Sarah Palin is 44 or whatever. And if you average their age, it comes out to just the right age for being a president, but it doesn't me mean anything. Give me a break. Yeah, he also, John McCain, apparently, this was on the news this morning, he criticized seven, about seven years ago, allegedly. I'll say allegedly because I haven't uh, checked out their source, but it was on uh, one of the news channels this morning that uh, he criticized Sher- uh, Sarah Palin for her spending too much money as the governor of Alaska. I heard that, too. Did you hear that? I did hear that, too. Yeah, that she was like, uh, reco- you know, we're talking millions of dollars. So it's just all a bunch of hype and rhetoric and criticizing. But the bottom line is, you know, if you're going to put, if we're going to give someone the, the what's the word I'm looking for, responsibility to be president of the United States, if you wanted someone to lead your company, who would you choose? Someone with a vision or someone that is has resent, you know, is resentful and has been, in, you know, really a <laughs> in the muck what? of the in the muck of the government for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. I, I want someone fresh. I want someone that has a vision about what's possible tomorrow. You know, the structure itself is not going to change. Our government, our structure is there for a reason. It's going to keep anybody with a vision sort of in check. But Sarah Palin isn't going to change the structure, I hope, of the Constitution of the United States of America as well as the structure. You're right. But you just said something, Lauren, that really struck home with me. You said, like, if you you have a company, let's say you have a a new company or a company that you are going to have. Or an old, an old company, company yeah. that you want a, a, to hire a new a CEO. Do you hire a 72-year-old guy to be the CEO of the company? No. Or do you yeah. hire a... You never a, see that happen. You never in the corporate America see that happen. They, are, they, they fire these guys at age 60. Exactly. Or age 55. They, they want them out. Them. Yeah, they get rid of them and they bring in the young people with the young ideas, the new, the new blood, the people that just came out of the freshest school, you know, to, because they have the new and upcoming ways to do business. Like Harvard. Exactly. <laughs> Harvard Law School. Yeah, I just think we're being, we're so getting stuck in the mud and the details of the of this, this particular political race that we're not looking at the big picture. We must look at the big picture. If we were a company, how would we run it? Who would we bring in to run the company? Well, we're getting stuck in this celebrity stuff, this uh, this 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 hype and all the Britney Spears kind of hype and celebrity that, that really is. There's no substance behind it. You, you wouldn't know. bring in anybody like that to run a company. No, you wouldn't. Or Paris Hilton. I mean, it becomes a joke. So. 
we just need to be smart, and we need to get away from the, the one-off issues. The one-off issues are going to get us in trouble. But, you know, here's a, we, uh, Barry and I were, and uh, for those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, you should know Barry, my boyfriend Barry, my partner Barry. He and I, when I came back from, we had this kind of... Uh, Routine. When I come back from New York City, he meets me and we go to a restaurant in downtown Albany, which is a very cool place. And uh, we know the bartender and we'll sit down and have drinks and have dinner there too. So talking to the bartender, and he made a point last night. He said that, you know, and it's really kind of a shame because he said, you know, you've got, uh, and this is, there's some truth to this, you have half the people know who they're going to vote for and so do the other half mostly. You know, it's almost like it's 49-49 or whatever it is. So does the whole election have to be based on, like, Ten people from Kansas, Kansas or Ohio or, or that Missouri. Scares, that scares me. Yeah. I mean, our system, there's something not quite right with that, if that's the truth, but there is some truth to that. There is some truth to that. You know, it's, so, it's a small amount of people that will make a difference in this election, as it did in the last election. And I think it's, uh, well, anyway, and the other thing is, you know, I think that, uh, and I think Thomas Friedman mentioned it in his column in the New York Times yesterday. I mean, Obama's got to get tough, he's, and I think he's starting to, to respond. Yeah. Um, and I know he doesn't want to get into all the garbledygook that the... That the, well, the got, if I were in his shoes, I'd be thinking, okay, how do, I, how do I position myself and not get sucked into the old-time, you know, details of mud-flinging, you know? Because he can't do that, and there's got to be a new way to let people know what he's all about without getting down to the details of, you know, they just sling mud, and I just think it's a waste of energy, and it's a waste of where people really want us to go. Well, it's a waste of Obama's time, because he has a lot more to say than... He really uh, does. Yeah, he has a, he's uh, much more um, more well-informed and has a lot more to say in terms of, you know, how he, what he's going to do and what his vision is and all of those kinds of things, rather than getting into... But he, mentioned something about lipstick on a pig, and they went nuts. Oh. I mean, she's the one who brought up lipstick on a, she compared herself to a pit bull. So, Actually, I mean. it started out with McCain mentioning lipstick on Hillary. That was where the whole thing, so she then brought it around full circle to try to get the Hillary people to the whole lip. So it started month, many months ago with McCain mentioning lipstick, something um, not putting lipstick on a bitch, actually. Not putting lipstick on a what? A bitch. A bitch? A bitch. McCain said that? Yes, so many, many, many months ago. So then she mentions lipstick, so now the lipstick is like the thing in the thing in the news. It's ridiculous. Oh, we're doing well as a country. We're doing really well yeah. as a country. It's sort of <laughs> sick. So, you know, so I thought that his point was really important, and I, I did get a chuckle out of it, I have to say. You know, she got a chuckle. Some people thought that she was funny with putting lipstick on a pit bull, and now he's saying, you know, you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Hello, Republicans are still Republicans. They might be doing something fancy footwork, but they're still Republicans. So Charles Gibson had his work cut out for him tonight, I guess. This is when the for, isn't the, the interview with uh, Sarah Palin tonight with I Charles think it Gibson? Is. I think it is too. Yeah, well, this will be very interesting. Um, I just question how. Well, I'm sure you know how. I was going to say how direct or how much pressure he's going to put on her. It depends. I don't know. It depends, I guess, on the questions, and she'll have it all figured. I mean, we'll see. Well, they're going to. You know, I really started to pay attention to their, their speeches. Aren't even written by them. That's what's so interesting is their speeches are written by the speechwriters. Yeah, they are. I can't wait to start seeing all of them off, off the, off the speeches. You know what I mean? Just answering questions without speeches. Well, but it's never just completely that. It's like coaching. It's like you go into a football game, and their coach has coached you and coached exactly. you and coached you on all the plays. Now, they're not out there, 
you know, holding your hand, but you've been coached, and That's it's the same sure. kind of. And you, know, and you know the questions coming. You know the questions. They've got you know twenty questions and different ways to approach the question, and that you know it's the same, like taking a test. You know, you've you've been studying for an exam, and uh, so you have an idea of how you're going to answer the questions, even though you don't know what the questions are. Exactly. So they've done the it's same true. kinds it is of. True. Yeah, it's so and is your point. It's just yeah, so and a politician—they learn how to speak. They know it's that double speak too. So that, they, but we'll see what happens. So that's why a really good interviewer, and I don't know Charles Gibson. I don't watch him too much. I think he's kind of a middle of the road kind of guy, isn't he? I, th- you know, I don't really know. Well, you'll know after tonight. What time is it on tonight? What Eastern yeah, time? It's so funny. I am in Scroon Lake, New York, where I have no access. I, I called <laughs> the Time Warner Cable Company, and I said, what will it cost me to put CNN on my basic cable for the next two weeks? And it was $75. I said, you know what? Never mind. I'll watch it on the Internet. I have Internet access. Yeah, so, he might. What's the difference? Watch it on the true. Internet. It's yeah, true. we have to say not, not say goodbye. Just for this saying, we'll be, we will be back. Lauren Beller and Catherine Sox on Voice America Women's Network. Thanks for joining us this morning. Don't go away. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Holistic health and well-being covers many facets, including stress, time management, weight loss, cardiovascular training, and aging. And that's just to name a few. Your life without limits will help to sort it all out for you. Join host Joe Sardi and the top minds in holistic health and well-being for an educational and entertaining hour. Listen for Your Life Without Limits. Heard every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio.
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. Welcome back to The Catherine Zox Show. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone with my co-host, Lauren Beller. And joining Lauren and me this morning is Michael Greenberg, author of Hurry Down, Sunshine. And Michael's book recounts the summer when his daughter, 15-year-old daughter, descended abruptly and unexpectedly into severe bipolar mania. Mike, uh, Michael writes for the London Times Literary Supplement. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Michael. Delighted to be here. Great to have you here. What a story. Uh, I mean, it's... Um, it's something that happened, as I described, as I just described it, abruptly. Fifteen years old, your daughter, one summer, and I think the book is written what over a two months for over about a two month period in your life. Right, when she was first diagnosed. Yes. Yeah. So what happened? This happened all of a sudden. This was something unexpected. There were no signs, no symptoms. Well, it's not uncommon with with acute first presentation of of, of acute mania. For it, for it to suddenly burst into being in that kind of tumultuous and torrential way in which it seemed at the time as if Sally had been one person the day before and was a completely transformed person the next day. However, looking back, I realized that it had been percolating, but not to the extent where, where, where incoherency and, 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 you know, the classic symptoms, the classic and terrible symptoms of mania uh, burst into the surface, burst onto the surface. Michael, you said that, 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 that things had been percolating, because I think that's really important, especially for families who may find themselves in, in this kind of a situation. And, and unfortunately, or I also have family and friends who have children and spouses who suffer from bipolar disorder. So, like, what? just stepping back a little bit, what are some of the, the symptoms? Are they so subtle that it's almost impossible as a family member to be able to identify, like in the case of your daughter Sally? I think with an adolescent or someone even in their early 20s or, or late adolescent, Sally was 15, so her, her, her presentation was a little early for, uh, for mania. Uh, but um, uh, the, the symptoms can be subtle because, of course, at that age you're in what I think of as the chaos of conversion when you're, when you're becoming so many things, when you're fighting with your identity. So Sally was up a lot at night. She was reading a lot. She was very intense. She was listening to music. She was listening to the, Bach, the, Golden, the Goldberg Variations by Bach played by Glenn Gould over and over again. She was notating Shakespeare. She'd always had an, had an interest in literature. I didn't notice the grandiosity. I thought... My God, this is the efflorescence of my wonderful daughter discovering herself intellectually. Yeah. And, and it, grandiosity yeah. is associated, as you say, with te- that whole period of teenage development anyway, and exactly. being up all night and being totally into yourself. So it's really difficult to discern it's, the difference. It is, and I and 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 you know, I would be cautious in 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 in, in jumping to the conclusion that an adolescent has a mental illness when an adolescent is experimenting with his or her individuality. However, there are classic symptoms that, that, that really should raise red flags and alarms. And one is not sleeping, uh, just having inordinate amounts of energy 
the other is a kind of a different way of speaking, a kind of a pressured voice. Uh, instead of uh, which, of course, in adolescence, there's a lot of that kind of a thing where peevishness. But in this case, it's a very pressured way of speaking where the person seems a little explosive um, and uh, not eating but not in the anorectic way, but just simply not being interested in food, and um, things like that. Things like so, that, grandiosity as well. Now, with Sally living with you at the time, now you had recently been divorced, uh, I, I, I think it was recently, and you were, um, and you were remarried. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I want to kind of set the stage for what the family dynamics were at the time when, when Sally actually, you know, became psychotic. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I I I had um, yes. Sally's mother and I had separated about seven or eight years before. I was newly married, year and a half, almost two years, and uh, Sally was living with me and Pat, her stepmother, um, and um, that was that was the situation. Her mother was living in Vermont. Her biological mother, as she very tersely called her at the time <laughs> she was she was struggling with the idea of her stepmother but she idealized her stepmother pat and uh was was more down on her biological mother robin as she needed to be than she needed to be uh but again adolescence uh, uh mother daughter battles uh nothing seemed completely out of the ordinary or out of out of what seemed common experience. Yeah, I mean, it fits into that adolescent pattern. I mean, I've been divorced. I know all the stuff that goes on, as you're describing, and the kind of malleable emotional stuff that the kids go through. So, you know, no red light. Yes. And then then what seemed to me like this, like from one day to the next, Sally just became a transformed person. And uh, to tell you the truth, uh, uh, it was so astonishing. It was as if a storm had struck us. And in fact, what I really set out to do with this book is to write about the phenomena of this happening. A person who's as close to you as anyone could be, your daughter, your child, a person who's learned to speak from you, whose first stories came from you, whose frame of reference in life is as close to yours as possible, suddenly becomes impenetrable and a complete stranger actually seeming to speak a different language. And uh, it's, it, it was devastating and phenomenal at the same time. And, uh, you know, I felt this book was missing from the literature on mental illness and insanity and, and, and psychosis and, and, and because it, ha- it is a venerable literature and a great literature. And there have been some very, very fine books about it over the years and even over the centuries. But uh, almost all of them are people writing about their experience of being psychotic. And I felt that this was missing, this, this, this view from the other shore, from, from its rippling effects on all of us. And so I felt it was an important book to write, even though it, it exposed my family. To yeah, that was my next, you, you were answering the next question, because that whole issue of I'm exposing myself, my family, my daughter, that had to be kind of scary in and of itself when you wrote the book, or it would be for me. Well, it was for me, too. And, 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 and you know, a memoir is a tricky proposition, and not only because it's been dragged through the mud in recent years by its own practitioners, but for other reasons, for deeper reasons, for reasons before all that happened, these, these phony memoirs, which is that there's an ethical question about 
writing the lives of, of others, writing their perceptions. Uh, and uh, I had great pause about that. I'm not a natural memoirist in the sense that I want to write about my life. I have a need to write about my life. I wanted to keep it in this subject. And I stopped after 60 or 70 pages because I felt, why make public what is best painlessly left unsaid? So, Michael, what was Sally's response? Or what is her response to this, to the book? Her response to the book, she loves it. Thank goodness. And, 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 and what she said to me after she read it was, now she's 27 now, she said, I felt like I was reading about a 15-year-old girl named Sally who, went to, who, who was in hell and was the only person who didn't know it. And I thought that was an astonishing response, and typical of Sally's brilliant, insightful self. And uh, what she meant was, was that she was reading about how all of us were responding to this vortex that she, this, this, this center that she created in our lives, and, and how many people get to read about themselves as they're seen by others. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and here she was reading about herself also in a transformed state. She was very great about it. She wanted her name used, and she feels that the book is valuable and can be helpful to people, and, and so she's been wonderful. Very yeah, I think, it, 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 as you say, it is valuable because most of the books are the ones that I have read. I mean, uh, Karen Hornbacker, uh, she wrote about her experiences, uh, mm-hmm. her own experiences, but as you say, this is very different because you're the father writing about it, and it's, you know, the, the whole family dynamics. What exactly, we only have two minutes, or three minutes, I guess, left for this part of the uh, of the show, but then we'll come back after break, but... Um, Specifically in terms of Sally's treatment, I mean, this horrific thing happened. All of a sudden, she is psychotic, and um, and and then and then what? I mean, like you have to figure out what you're going to do. Are you going to have her institutionalized or stay? I mean, there's so many choices and options, and it's terrifying. I think it's terrifying for parents to be put in that position. Talk to us about your experience. Well, it, it is terrifying, and the first the first thing that you have to do is accept that your daughter needs help. Here, here she seems a perfectly healthy person, in the, in the pink of health, really, full of energy. Um, and, and you have to accept that there is a mental illness here, which is not easy. And, uh, you know, uh, you're looking for other reasons. Maybe she took drugs. You're hoping she took drugs. What would normally be an awful thing for a parent you're hoping for? Because you want a reason, you need you something. You want a reason, yeah. and you want something that's, that 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 can be corrected and that's temporary. Um, but you know, eventually, within within six or seven hours, we realized that there was no recourse but to take Sally to the hospital, and so we did. And it's and it's a very wrenching experience. You know, so being under eighteen, you're asked to sign the papers for her to be admitted. Again, you're waiting for a different answer, but. Um, it's and so what goes, through, what goes through your mind as a parent? Here you have to institutionalize your daughter. I mean, I know for me, you're thinking about, well, what's this going to do for her future? And, you know, here I, you know, having to, she's going in under duress, all those kinds of things. Did those issues come up for you? Very much, very much. I, I, first of all, I ran through all the prejudices about mental illness in my mind. Does this mean that Sally is now a pariah? Does this mean that Sally will always be seen as a mental patient no matter what she does? Does this change her life, her possibilities going forward in her life? What does this mean to her? What is my role in this? Um, uh, all these questions come, come rushing at you uh, uh, 
couldn't I just take her home and take care of her? Surely it'll pass. But in fact, acute mania is a dangerous physical state. And, and you didn't have the choice. You had to act then. We're going to just take a short break, Michael. We'll be right back. Michael Greenberg, author of Hurry Down Sunshine. You're listening to the Catherine Zock Show, Voice America Women's Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. radio that informs entertains and enlightens you voice america women's radio network today's professional woman is confronted by outrageous advertising and cultural pressures that assume how a woman should look and behave the show women food sex and power rekindling your fire will finally challenge these seriously flawed assumptions and discuss daring alternatives Join host Bethany Gagne for an authentic reflection of the modern woman every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Thanks for joining us. We're back. Catherine Zox with my co-host Lauren Beller and with author... Michael Greenberg, he's author of Hurry Down Sunshine, and he and I have been talking, the book is about his his 15-year-old daughter Sally's uh, descent, I guess what you would call it, into severe bipolar, into a severe bipolar episode. Uh, so, Michael, before we took the break, we were talking about what's well, sort of taking us to actually when it happened, and I think you made a really good point that as a parent, first of all, you have to admit that there is a problem and that you need to do something about it and that that's scary in and of itself, that, that there's no choice but you have to and do something really dramatic in order to, in, to help your daughter. Yes, and you also have to, have to understand, and this over time was a very important thing because mental illness requires a tremendous amount of patience and a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of focus and, and caring. It's very wearing on the family. It can be very wearing, uh-huh. and can be very wearing. And 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 when a person is healthy and behaving 
in a way that is that is that is not within the social norm that is that is outside the spectrum of social behavior of, of accepted social behavior which is what one does in mental illness it's one of the definitions really of mental illness um, it's hard to believe that this is not the person's not doing it intentionally because it doesn't have the ear the 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 signs the earmarks of sickness mental illness it's hard to make the imaginative leap to to the fact that this is not that person's fault that this person is actually ill and it should be treated like any illness. And In I other words, it's very easy to blame the victim. If you, you know, I think that that's that's really important to bring out because I think a lot of families do struggle with that. And the families that I know, family, and as I mentioned earlier in the interview, families and friends whose spouses and or children. Um, suffer from mental illness and specifically bipolar disease. There's always that. Well, if they would take their medications, if, if they take their medication, then everything should be. Here's one. Uh, then, then they should behave appropriately. Yes, that's right. And if if only they had more will and things like this that are said also. Uh, uh, if only they were more disciplined with their behavior. And this is this is not really the way it is because that's a different. And you know, it's very interesting what you say about medication because. Uh, uh, taking the medication is important, but but this is not a curable. Unfortunately, this is not a curable condition: manic depression or schizophrenia. Uh, neither of them are. There 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 are treatments. The treatments are not that sophisticated. Have not progressed very much since 1952, when Thorazin was introduced, and and as as a drug that kind of tamped down delusions. And pretty much the drugs available today are offshoots of that, but basically do the same thing. So the idea that medication, if only you took your medication, you'd be fine, is also an erroneous idea. The medication has have a lot of side effects and make life even more difficult for the, for the person suffering from the disease. So it's really important, along with medication, uh, to have or to be engaged in therapy, um, Either individually or with family, but that's ju- just as important as taking or the medication, which I guess has to constantly be monitored and changed. That's right. Yes, yes. So, you know, there, there's a difference between pharmacology, where you see a psychiatrist to adjust your medication to watch watch its effect on your body, its effect on you, and therapy. Which, which would be done with a social worker who's, who's versed in, 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 in these kinds of disorders or, or, or a psychologist, which I think is very important that the two work together. And uh, an awareness of the disease on the, part of the, on the part of the person suffering from it is essential. Um, a, a way of anticipating when it's coming on. Um, you know, a funny thing about bipolar illness, uh, a kind of diabolical thing about it, is that it's so seductive. So that when it takes, when it when it strikes, it's it, it's a bit like a devilish whisper in your ear: "Come with me, go with me. Uh, 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 this is going to be great. Don't you feel fantastic?" It beguiles the sufferer. It puts the sufferer in in the center of a universe in which that person uh, feels omnipotent. And and who would turn away from this? Um, uh, so, uh, one of Sally's therapists who helped her a great deal during that summer, uh, a, psych- a psychologist and psychiatrist uh, who saw her after her hospitalization, likened it to a friend who 
wants you to go on a crazy ride with her, wants you to do all these mad things, and you can't say no because she's riveting, but really she doesn't give a damn about you. And that's, that's, what, your, that's what mania is. She likened it to that. I thought that was a very interesting comparison. And, um, yeah, so, that's a good example. And then the other side of the mania, of course, is the severe depression, which is dangerous and scary stuff. Yes, and even even after the seductive period, then you become fragmented, confused, uh, even before depression. So it quickly disintegrates. And so it's very hard. So when this thing comes on, you don't say, oh, I'm going to take my medication and stop it. You, you, you want to run with it because there's a euphoria in the initial stages. So this is very important for, for a bipolar uh, uh, person to learn that when it's coming on, don't be beguiled, don't be seduced. Michael, did you ever feel as a parent guilty about it? Perhaps there was something that you did or didn't do as a parent that could have prevented it? Or I know that you um, you have a brother who suffers from mental illness. Is there a genetic component? All of that must have gone or goes through your mind. Yes, yes. I, 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 I went through uh, the self-questioning that inevitably comes uh, when something like this happens. But to tell you the truth, I mean, I have always loved Sally as best I could. Her mother has. We've, we, we've always given her everything we could. And uh, uh, it was hard to reconcile our parenting with what was happening. And I realized that to search and to torture myself about this was, was not really going to be helpful. And, and the fact is, is that this was something that was more like a storm of nature that had overcome her. And in fact, there are hereditary components to bipolar illness. Um, it's very difficult to figure out. Uh, uh, geneticists have been trying like mad to figure out uh, uh, the gene, the marker, what causes it. And the factors are so complicating that they've been thwarted at every turn. Well, has there been any progress? Because you mentioned something about the Thorazine that they used to take in the 70s, which was this kind of this just medication that just was like a hitting you over the head kind of thing. So that, uh, and, and, you know, I always, and I guess I, I thought that at least that we have made some progress, you know, designer, what do they call them, designer medications yes. or pharmaceuticals that they're, uh, but you're saying that, well, we haven't made as much progress progress is perhaps... Uh, I think there's been progress for people who are mi- mi- more mildly uncomfortable, uh, have more mild mood disorders, especially depression. Not much progress with many of them, but with depression, there obviously have been. There's a new generation of drugs that are exemplified by Prozac, of course, that we all know about, that I think has been helpful to people. Uh, but what about Michael now, since now it was 1996 that Sally was diagnosed, so we've gone, what, t- 12 years, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you must have seen some changes since then. Well, yes, she went from being a girl to a woman, and um, uh, she's has had fairly long periods of remission, but uh, she's never free of, of the illness, and uh, she has become, in a way, an expert of her condition. And as she says, it's like having to drag this thing around. It's an invisible handicap. She drags it around with her. She fights it. Sometimes she must succumb to it because it's stronger than she is. And she's had hospitalizations. She's had medication adjustments. She's had breakdowns. Um, But 
she is not a tragic figure to me at all. She's a wonderful, brave woman who gives a tremendous amount. Uh, and you as a parent, Michael, and how do you, what is, and I guess what I'm saying, trying to get out here is, like, what is your emotional involvement? As you say, Sally is bright, she's accomplished, she is always going to have to deal with this, her bipolar illness. Um, parents sometimes, at least in my experience, clinically and also with family and friends, tend to become over-involved with their adult children. It's hard for them to back away. They're frightened. They're over-controlling. How do you get around that, or has that been an issue for you so that you could want to protect her as, as, you know, from her um, episodes? That's a fantastic point. Uh, I have been guilty of that, of a kind of a gun-shy jitters, and, and that's something I've had to deal with and, and, and get over. That when Sally is feeling a little exuberant, it doesn't mean that she's in mania. Or, or, and, and, and that when Sally's interested in something and act, uh, or, or gets angry, it doesn't mean she's having a pressured, this pressured speech of a manic episode. And I've had to learn to, to um, respect and absorb and separate her individuality from the illness. And that's been very important because I, I am a little, I am worried about her. I'll call her and I say, have you been sleeping? Have you been, you know, <laughs> you know? And then and she I'll wants have... to hang up on you. Yes, that's right. That's right. So I've had to learn that. Well, I want to make, I mean, it's been, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing the story today and obviously sharing it in your book, Hurry Down Sunshine. Uh, is there a website that uh, listeners can go to to, um, Obviously, to buy the book at Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Uh, do you have a website? I, I don't have a website. My publisher, Other Press, has 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 a site for me for the book. Amazon has a rather has an has a has a video interview with me about the book for about three minutes. So it's it's a rather substantial site at Amazon. Uh, you can also read the first chapter on Amazon. It, 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 uh, uh, I've been very lucky that they chose it as their spotlight best book of September, so they've done a little bit of fancy bells and whistles with, the, with my page on Amazon. So visiting there, you could get a good sense of the book. Terrific, and we can even we can see you giving your your speech, right? Yes, you can. That's can. right. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. My pleasure, Kathy. Yeah, have a great day. You too. Yeah, Michael Greenberg. What a story, Lauren. Um, uh, yeah, an incredible dad. And I know that's how to, he's that point is so great that we separate the behavior from the person. Exactly, yeah. and, I, and as I keep saying, I know so many people who struggle with it, parents, and I think he really, by sharing his perspective, I mean, it, it's, it is really different than having the person themselves tell their story, but having it from the parent's point of view, I mean, that's really helpful. Anyway, the name of the book, and I'm going to mention it again, is Hurry Down Sunshine, Michael Greenberg. Lauren, we're going to take another break. Hey, it's fuzzy. I hear this fuzzy fuzzies. Is that your phone? I'm, not, I'm hoping it's not. I'm blaming it on you. Blame it on the studio. I'm not blaming it on myself. I'll tell you that. <laughs> not my, not my fault. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute. Lauren Beller with Catherine Sox and Voice America Women's Network. Don't go away.
talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Hey, Ranger, why do you have to remind people to be careful with fire? Well, Mr. Mountain Lion, sometimes people need to be reminded about certain things, like not to run with scissors or let children play with wild dingoes, and to be responsible for fires they start. So what you're saying is that people can be careless and forgetful? Pretty much. <coughs> that makes me very sad. Sounds like someone needs a hug. Back over, I'll turn your hat into confetti! Remember, only you can prevent wildfires. A public service message from Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. Experts say everybody is addicted to something. Did you know that addiction affects about 15% of our country's middle class population? How many people do you know who are dependent on some kind of substance? Would you guess your friends, your neighbors? How about your family? You may be surprised. Many of us live with chronic pain, which has made us drug dependent, prescription drug dependent. Others struggle with alcohol, methamphetamine, and cocaine addiction. Do you have a chronic pain problem? There is another way out. Tune in each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for a new prescription for health with Dr. Richard Gracer on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. To The Catherine Zoff Show, good morning and thanks for joining us this morning. It's Catherine Zoff, your social worker with a microphone with my co-host Lauren Deller. Joining us this morning, and this is very timely, is New York State Attorney Linda Clark. She's past president of the Capital District Women's Bar Association, which is the uh, Albany, New York, the capital of New York State. And she's here to talk about this uh, very timely topic, and she's been very involved in a project called Women Must Lead. So here we are. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Linda. Thank you, Catherine. Good morning. Great to have you here. Okay, Women Must Lead. Well... We're right in the midst of it, aren't we, with our new potential vice president of the United States. Um, What is the Women Must Lead project? Well, it it certainly is a a timely topic, um, and uh, we certainly had no idea how timely it would be last year when we started planning it. But essentially, the Capital District Women's Bar Association is looking to uh, provide an opportunity for women. And we have to say Capital District, New York State, because this is all over the world, so we want I just want to throw that in. We're talking about New York Capital District. That's right. It's considered the Capital District. It's it's the capital of the state, um, and it's a region covering a, a number of cities in that general region. And the Women's Bar Association for that region um, has been very interested in developing networking opportunities for our members and for members of other women professionals um, to get together to network um, so that we can support each other um, as we go forward in our careers 
and hopefully um, develop connections in the political arena and advance through the political system. And so this year, we decided to have this uh, women's business networking event featuring uh, Marie Wilson of the White House Project, um, who's very involved in the Women Must Lead program. Right, so White what is the White House Project? Tell us what that is. Sure. The White House Project um, is an organization that is dedicated um, to giving women the tools they need to advance and, and lead not only in the professions, but also ultimately in the political arena. And so we haven't been doing this. We have to have some stats on it. Apparently, uh, we aren't doing what women are not leading in the arena business and, and politics, and, and traditionally, we're just not up there in terms of what men are doing. Is that true? Uh, that's absolutely true. I mean, certainly right now that the headlines not, might not bear that out because it's, it's such a, a hot issue in the presidential election right now. But if you look at the uh, statistics in Congress, for example, um, by my count, it, we, it looks to be about maybe 16% women. And that's rather low, considering we're over half of the population. And we found an interesting corollary between that number and the number of women who are uh, advancing in other professions. So, for example, in my profession, in the legal profession, women constitute only 17% of all partners in, uh, in private uh, law practices. And so that's a, a striking corollary between the number of women in Congress, the number of women that are advancing to partnership positions in the law. And so it seems to us that this, this theme of leading, no matter where you are or what your profession is, is really the, the key to advancement for women and, and gender equity generally. Yeah, and it seems, Linda, you know, I'm listening to those very sad statistics. You're talking about 16% of women end up being partners in law firms, whereas and uh, at least isn't the statistic 50% of the students in law school are women, and yet they don't go on to achieve the same kinds of, uh, uh, well, you're talking about partnerships in law firms that men do. Yeah, that's true. I graduated in 1991, and for a long time, women had been um, at least 50% of the um, of the uh, population at, at law school. And yet, somehow, they fall by the wayside, and uh, they're just they're leaving um, in vast numbers the legal profession. You know, in the same way that that women um, seem to leave uh, advancement uh, opportunities for advancement in the political arena as well. And there's a lot of structural barriers there, barriers there. And uh, Marie Wilson, um, who is the head of the the uh, the White House Project um, and has been organizing these Women Must Lead events um, really, really speaks to those core issues um, and, and provides women with uh, the tools they need to get past those barriers and become leaders in their profession and ultimately, hopefully, in, the, in politics as well. So is it something, you know, you talk about getting past those barriers. Are the barriers, and I keep going back to this, are they our barriers as women, are, are sort of our individual barriers, or are they societal barriers, or is it a combination of both that keeps us from achieving what we are capable of doing in business and politics and, and, and uh, medicine and, and, and what, uh, whatever other professions we uh, get in, uh, we do? Sure, and I think it's a combination of both. I mean, there are there are structural barriers since women, um, you know, have to deal with the, the question of childbearing. Uh, sometimes right in the middle or at the, at the peak of their careers, um, and certainly at, at the same time that men are making great strides in political careers. Um, and then we also have the, the stereotypes and the the, uh, the double-edged sword that women face in terms of um, personalities and communications. We can certainly see that playing out on the national scene, um, and it's very difficult to strike that balance. Um, and you're also talking about the busiest group um, that you can imagine. Uh, women professionals are uh, almost always have a spouse working, um, and so you have a, a home with uh, potentially with children, both spouses working, and now a lot of us are taking care of our parents. 
So uh, we thought it was a great opportunity to get women of all uh, of all ilks and uh, no matter what their profession is in the same room, united um, on an issue that will resonate with everyone. Um, and we're very excited to have Marie Wilson um, here tomorrow um, to address this issue. So this Women Must Lead uh, is going to be something, this kind of a conference or this kind of uh, uh, is going to um I'm calling it a conference, but uh, meeting amongst all of these women is going to be something that's going to be a yearly uh, happening here in uh, Albany, New York, and and even across the country. Well, we're hoping that uh, maybe uh, other regions will will take uh, take our lead on this issue and perhaps put together their their own event. We're referring to it as a sort of a women's uh, uh, summit, a women's business summit, um, and hopefully uh, it may not be Marie Wilson next year, but hopefully every year. We'll, we'll call all of the different women's business professional groups together um, and get together on, on an issue of common interest like this um, and use that networking opportunity, that social networking opportunity to support each other um, as we go forward and, you know, uh, deal with all the challenges of, of life and, and advancing in our professions and, and ultimately uh, politically as well. Yeah, I think, Linda, that's an important point because that whole thing about social networking, we really have left behind, are left behind when it comes to that. And I think that's the key, that is one of the keys. I think, uh, obviously, uh, you know, I mean, that old boys network is alive and well. That's absolutely true. We really don't have an old girls network. We don't, but uh, I'm many, an old girl who would like one. Yeah, and, but I'm I have to have one too. <laughs> And I don't golf, so that's tough, you know. Yeah, so. it is. Well, we have to figure out another sport or another way of networking. Um, but I have to ask you this question because, sure. you know, this is like the elephant in the room because I want your feedback on Sarah Palin. And, of course, we're in New York State, Hillary Clinton. Uh, this is kind of an open-ended question, but I do resent, and I am going to, you know, making the comparison between Sarah Palin and Hillary Clinton, and I think it was Gloria Steinem who said the only thing they have in common is there is a chromosome. What do you think about that? You know, this is an issue that women across the country are debating, um, and, I, and I'll tell you that I'm, I'm an active, um, I'm an active Democrat and a committee person. You know, um, you. And, and very involved in my bar association, and I am very troubled um, by the debate on this kind of issue, um, and it's exactly the kind of comparison um, that I think hurts women, uh, has always hit, hurt women historically. I think Sarah Palin has has traits and characteristics that that make her a great leader. Um, uh, given her beliefs and, and her political party, and, and so does Hillary Clinton. Um, and I have a lot of respect for both. Uh, and I, I hate when um, when these comparisons result in you know sort of demeaning the the, the professional qualities of these outstanding leaders um, in a way that hurts women generally. And I think one of the things, and you're sort of hitting upon it, is this inability to differentiate. You know, men that just because you're a woman, then you share all of the same, you know, all of the same ideas or beliefs or political beliefs or whatever it is uh, that another woman is. You know, that's making that comparison between Hillary Clinton and, and Sarah Palin. I mean, they're women, but then you have to be able to differentiate, and I think that's really important. I don't think we're doing that. Or absolutely, at least, they yeah. stand on their own, um, yeah. and they're very different, obviously. Um, and uh, we have to evaluate them that way. Yeah. That well, being said, you know, I, I can understand the disappointment of a lot of women um, that uh, after, after all the progress that was made with the Hillary Clinton campaign, that there, that there wasn't a woman on the ticket. I mean, yeah. we, I'm sure a lot of us felt that. Um, in a real way. Yeah, and I definitely felt that way. I was, a, I too am a Democrat, a Hillary Clinton fan, and, uh, you know, she's dedicated her entire life. You know, she's an attorney. She's one of you. And, uh, with lots of experience, and well, I'm not going to go on and on, but anyway, she was also one of my choices. But, 
great. Uh, you're doing great work, Linda. Linda Clark, uh, who is the, uh, well, the her brainchild, Women Must Lead. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. We have to have you back again. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you very much. Great. Linda Clark. So, Lauren, I think this is a good thing. This is like where women are starting to have to do this. We've got to, like, just up the ante a little bit. We've got to do that social networking, get together, make sure that we get out there and compete with the men. We have to say goodbye. Great. Great show as always, Catherine. Great talking to you. You're listening to Voice America Women's Network. Thanks, everyone, for joining us this morning. Lauren and I will be back next week. Have a great week. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Talk Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversation with Catherine Zox.